This is David Rovix, and you are tuned to 3CR, 8.55 a.m., Melbourne, Australia. Step three is finding there's a tactic when everyone believes it could be true. That if all the people work collectively, there just might be something we can do, and everything can change. Welcome to the Beyond Zero Emissions Community Radio Program. You are listening to 3CR Radio. And we're joined now in the studio by uh, Vivian. Vivian, how's it going? Very good, thanks, Kurt. Just back from Tasmania. Oh, how was it? Fabulous. And we're also here with Lindsay. Lindsay, how's it going? Good, how are you going? Very well, very well. Now, on the 15th of June, Queensland's Environment Department approved the Adani Group's plan to manage their own groundwater. This was the final hurdle before land clearing and digging could begin on the Carmichael Mine, a mine that is planned to produce 25 million tonnes of coal yearly. Beyond that, the mine has become a watershed for Australia that has come to represent many things. Our desperate desire to clutch onto the glory days of the mining boom, the interference of mining money in political decision-making, our nation's commitment to native title and the preservation of our national biodiversity. And it also represents a rapidly approaching reality in which the once Great Barrier Reef is becoming a fossilised monument to our inability to act on climate change. Today we will be dedicating our entire show to the Adani Carmichael Mine Project. We will be talking to Stephen Long, who was the journalist for the ABC Four Corners program Digging Into Adani, to get an idea of how the Adani group operates and how it has performed financially, environmentally and legally in the past, particularly with its projects in India. We had hoped to have Vivian talk with Adrian Baraguba of the Wangan and Jagalingu people to hear about their battle to uphold their native title claims to the land on which the mine will be dug. But unfortunately, Adrian had to be called away last minute on a family emergency. We certainly hope everything is okay with Adrian. Instead, we have a powerful speech recorded by another prominent member of the Wangan and Jagalingu people, Mirawa Johnson. But first up, we have Jenny Weber. Jenny is the campaign manager at the Bob Brown Foundation. We'll be hearing from her about the long-running protest movement against the Carmichael Mine, a movement that has come to define the climate change action in Australia. So stay with us. Help, help! Hello down there. Are you okay? No, I'm stuck. Stuck? Yeah, I'm stuck in a country that for two decades has done nothing on climate change. Oh no! Can I grab you a rope? No, there's a rock on me. I I can't move. A rock? What the hell? Well, it's a weight of despair and an apathetic government, powerful lobby groups and an indifferent mainstream media. Dear God, what on earth can I do to help? Go now and pledge money for the 3CR Radiothon. Great. What do I do? Head to 3cr.org.au forward slash donate. Anything else? Yeah. Remember in your donation to mention the Beyond Zero Emissions radio program. I'll go right away. Jenny Weber has spent 12 years coordinating hundreds of direct action campaigns in Tasmania's southern world heritage forests. She has also won the Bob Brown Foundation Environmentalist of the Year Award and is now the campaign manager for the Bob Brown Foundation. Jenny? Are you with Hello. us? Hello. Oh, excellent. Yes, yes, we can hear you now. Uh, so uh, in response to the Carmichael mine getting approval by co- the Queensland government to start digging, Bob Brown says, we will make this international. What did he mean by that? Uh, look, Bob has uh, been involved in so many campaigns over so many years and seen that the very value of the international solidarity campaigns that you can have is... Uh, so important. And at this very time where we have the Australian government and the Queensland government basically having a dereliction of responsibility and not preventing uh, environmental impacts of um, Guitar Madani's proposed coal exploitation in Australia, it's important to remember that it parallels with um, his activities in India as well. And it's important to always call out corporations for the mighty problem that they are globally. Um, the Adani mine, if it proceeds, will be... Well, it already is. It's, it's one of the world's most contentious mines, mm. coal mines. And uh, in India, there's 
highly controversial coal mines, including one that's proposed for um, Indigenous land in the Hasdeo Rand Forest. Um, this is just one example. Another example is a coal-fired um, power station in India that the Carmichael Mine uh, coal is proposed to go to, um, and they've just declared a special economic zone for that uh, mm. coal-fired power station. So, you know, it's important to remember that we have corporations here in um, Australia that are trying to access our um, important Galilee Basin, uh, the forests of, of Tasmania, um, you know, so many different examples of mega corporations that are a major problem for um, our society and our environment and climate. And so that's why it's important to call it out. And a good way to call it out is to have international solidarity campaigns um, like we are starting to develop with uh, people who are campaigning in India against the Dani as well. Mm. Mm. And um, we're going to have uh, Stephen Long talking about um, Adani, the Adani Group's um, operations in India and how, how sketchy some of that can be. Um, and so tonight's Four Corners is called Extinction Crisis about how species in Australia are under critical threat. I understand that the black-throated finch would have its habitat disrupted, potentially fatally, for the species um, should the mine go ahead. How well do Australians respond to the threatening of its native species, in your experience? Well, you know, hopefully they understand that extinction is not acceptable. Mm. Uh, Extinction of species is something that we need to um, prevent. And, you know, I do find it frustrating sometimes as an environmentalist how many um, species are on the brink of extinction. Um, the ongoing practices that companies in Australia and government sanction uh, do push species to the brink of extinction. For example, the koala. For us to even be, um, you know, clearing land Australia-wide mm. that, is, that is threatening such a species as iconic as the koala is a major concern. However, people really do, at the end of the day, value wildlife, and they need to. So, unfortunately, the Queensland government did sign over to the impending extinction of the black-throated finch only weeks ago, Mm. and um, people are responding, though. There's a great uh, campaign right now running on Instagram, if anyone uh, has it, where there was an artist who was compelled to action on that very day that that announcement was made, Mm. and uh, she has set up a hashtag, a thousand finches, and there are artists all over Australia for the last three weeks who have been drawing, painting, uh, sculpting finches and sending them to the Premier, Queensland Premier, the opposition environment spokesperson, the the Prime Minister, the Federal Environment Minister. Right now, those people are having um, the expressions of these artists land on their desks. And it's a small, powerful action, like Mm. everyone's actions are. And, And, you know, this is, at the end of the day, our foundation is just crying out to people to say... Don't despair, get active. And the best thing that we can be doing in this climate emergency is just spending whatever time you have every day to get active. And this is what these artists are doing. And it's one example of uh, action to um, highlight the disastrous impacts of potential extinction for the black-throated finch. So is that a thousand, the the word thousand or the number thousand? The number thousand, hashtag one thousand, the number finches. And it's just, you know, it's a really great example of, People just taking action and saying, hey, this is not on my watch. Mm. I'm not going to stand by and let something like this happen without doing something about it. Great. So um, around the Galilee Basin is also fantastic grazing land, I understand. And on our show, we have seen how uh, farmers have shifted from being politically conservative and historically at loggerheads with the environmental movement to becoming some of its biggest advocates. Um, Have you seen this in relation to protesting of Adani? Uh, one of the best campaigners against Adani and is, and he's just speaking from his truth and uh, his experience, is Bruce Curry. And uh, when the Bob Brown Foundation conducted our um, Stop Adani convoy, um, Bruce Curry was a great supporter and um, sent a letter to the local papers to say that we are welcome into um, Claremont and Central Queensland. He's a Western Queensland small business operator and primary producer. Um, due to the massive costs associated with fighting Adani himself, he's represented himself in, in the land court to try and protect the groundwater supply from being permanently destroyed. 
um, you know, he's he's a fighter and, and he's standing up and saying that without reliable water, mm. no community can survive. No landowner can survive. And, and this is why it's so important for um, people across Australia to, to band together and, and realise that, you know, graziers and farmers are going to be impacted by this atrocity and the opening of the Galilee Basin for all the mines, not just the Adani mines. So he um, is a brave-hearted individual and we were very thankful for uh, his support for the Stop Adani convoy because he uh, recognised that, you know, people were taking action and the convoy was spreading a national message that Australia wants a safe future. Um, We all welcome investment and support for the regions and, and rural areas um, but we want to deal with law-abiding companies who respect mm. environment, culture, economy. I mean, goodness me, to be riding roughshod over the Wangajangalingu people, um, you know, at the same time that the um, company was given the go-ahead by the Queensland and Australian government, they were you know, serving a writ on Adrian Baragaba to sue him. I mean, Adani is an atrocious mm. company and, and we, we really need to get them out of, um, you know, so many appalling practices across the across the globe yeah i mean it, the 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 benefits of this mine aren't even being like they they're, they're not even correct you 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 hear this number 10,000 jobs bandied around when the real number was admitted to be 1,464 um, the Adani group is bragging about their automation at the same time from from pit to port why is that number 10,000 so resilient well, the power of the Murdoch media, I mean, this is what we have seen through the Sabadani convoy, is that you put your head up and uh, oppose something and you'll very quickly get beaten around that head by the Murdoch media. So everyone who is working on the Adani campaign is you know, aware that, that the Murdoch media will trumpet its, its support for the corporations. It'll especially trumpet its support for anyone who is a climate denier and, and for us in this day and age to be hearing from a media that would put climate um, denying before the real science is is the reality that we're living in and, and it's a real problem for us all to face. However, it's something for us to fight back on and um, there's a, a movement of community groups and graziers, as you talked about, uh, the, the Aboriginal um, people in the Wangan-Jangalingu Family Council and environment groups who are pushing back and market forces, for example, getting out the real facts and um, it's just for people out there in the broader community to go and find them and not be influenced by the fact that we have an atrocious monopoly, particularly in Queensland, mm. of the Murdoch media. And, I mean, recently we had Peter Credlin travel to India uh, and be paid. Her trip was paid by Adani, you know, by the company itself. And, mm. and the interview with... Katama Dani was all about a puff piece. It was an advertisement for a company that has an appalling track record internationally and in its own home country. Mm. And unfortunately, our governments are rolling out the red carpet for it to um, roll on into central Queensland and cause a lot of environmental and climate damage. Yeah, on that subject of the government, um, the Adani mine in particular was such a hot-button issue coming into the last election. Um, the NLP are obviously pretty single-minded in their support, while Labor says one thing in the cities and then another thing in North Queensland. Yet the actual benefits to Australians are mediocre at, at best. If if you bear with me while I read just this quick paragraph from um, James Bradley's article in the in April's uh, The Monthly... Um, So the quote is, although coal accounts for almost 15% of Australia's total exports, coal mining makes a surprisingly small contribution to government revenue. Even the coal prices at at historically high levels in 2017 to 18, coal royalties only accounted for around 6.4% of Queensland government revenue, a figure that is projected to fall to 4.6% by 2021 to 22 as coal prices decline. To put that in context, in 17 to 18, income from motor vehicle registrations accounted for 3% of government revenue. In New South Wales, coal's contribution to government revenue is less than 2%. The coal industry's contribution to federal coffers is also minimal, 
accounting, according to analysis by the Australia Interview Institute in 2013, combined revenue from company tax and the mining resources rent tax from coal industry accounted for less than 1% of the Commonwealth Government's revenue. Why is the mine so politically tricky when it has such horrific consequences with such a poor return on investment for Australians? Well, that's a million-dollar question. It's the multi-multi-million dollar question and why uh, Australia has to stand by and see governments push for uh, a multi-billion dollar company to open up a Galilee Basin, which follows on from your quote there, uh, the impact on the Galilee Basin and the water impact and what, uh, you know, follow-through impacts it's going to have on... Um, you know, water water supply for so many regions south of the Galilee Basin. Uh, We're in an age still of climate emergency Mm -hmm. that not everyone has woken up to and not everyone wants to make change that is necessary. Uh, We have a very real danger um, in our society, I believe, of people, rather than realising that there's something that we can do about climate, people are going to start to say, I can't do anything about it. It's going to happen. Um, I'm just going to live it up. Um, mm. I have to have job. I have to have to have a job and I have to have food on the table for my family. And uh, it's all too hard to change that culture. Look, Australia needs to look after each other and globally we need to look after each other. We are global citizens and we're, um, you know, we're happy to have all the fruit of capitalism across the globe, but we're not happy to recognise that uh, we need to make change for recognising this this climate emergency. However, who is happy to is the new generation of climate strikers Mm. and the new generation of young people who are coming through and taking action. And the people who were on the streets in Brisbane on Friday taking action, the people who were in Adani headquarters today taking action. People are not going to stand by and let this mine go ahead. There's going to be one well-thought-out Um, campaign from many, many, many different angles. And that's why the Bob Brown Foundation and Bob Brown himself is committed to, um, you know, taking action and doing everything that we can. We haven't lost. I have heard some people recently saying about how they feel like we've lost Mm. and, um, you know, the the Adani mine is going to go ahead. But we haven't. Uh, Successful campaigns mobilise people and these protests that are happening now and the more protests that will happen will just mobilise more Australians to stop Adani's assault on the planet and the climate. And uh, regardless of the push from the government and um, the corporations, we have to understand that we live in a democracy and non-violent, peaceful, direct action is a, is an option for many, many people. So we just have to keep doing it to protect life on Earth, don't we? I mean, that's what we have to keep doing. Well, that's right. And I'm sure that there's a lot of listeners at the moment that are feeling very inspired by that. So what can they do to help the Bob Brown Foundation to stop Adani? The Stop Adani um, movement has done really well with setting up different um, local groups. There's there's an easily an accessible local group for you if you Googled um, Stop Adani on the web. If you don't have access to the web, which I understand that there are still people, we had someone call today who wanted to do something and still doesn't have access to the web, you know, community radio is a really great place to listen in on about different events or protests that are getting getting underway. And it's just about public participation. It really is. I mean, the Bob Brown Foundation, we're going to offer ways for people to get involved and take action. We did one um, only a fortnight ago. We had 200 people turn out in Canberra in front of the Indian High Commission. And we also had a protest at the consulate in Sydney. Um, just on the weekends, again, there was, there was actions in Melbourne, Sydney and Brisbane. So really there's so many ways that um, there's so many organisations that are offering ways to get involved in the campaign and I really do just urge people to understand that it's up to you and me and wherever they are and whatever they do, it's important to help raise the roof on this appalling company and this appalling uh, proposed mine for the Galilee Basin. Yeah, and I think that uh, for Melbourne listeners that there will be a... um there's a meeting, there's an assembly for the Stop Adani campaign, which will be happening on Saturday. Um, That's give... right, this weekend. And, you know, just a shout-out for Frontline Action on Coal. They have a Melbourne group, 
And they are an incredible organisation who are right now on the front line. They've been on the front line for a couple of years now up there in central Queensland. And, and they, again, uh, like the Sopadani movement, have set up orgs around the little groups that you can get involved in. And there's a great one in Melbourne. So being able to get involved in community action and seeing how you can just participate. You know, this is a classic case of just stepping off the pavement, which is a classic quote that Bob constantly comes up with. Mm. Bob Brown is often saying, you know, step off the pavement and get involved in the campaign because there's so many opportunities for you to not feel despair. Great. Thank you so much for your time, Jenny, and the very best of luck. No worries. Thanks so much for having me, and good luck to you guys. Thanks, 3CR, for being amazing as always. Thanks, Jenny. Bye-bye. Bye. Hi, I'm Malcolm Roberts, and I'm outside the Grand Hotel in Clermont because this is where the protesting of the convoy is taking place. We want to go and get... uh, many varied opinions so we went into the commercial hotel and I just asked people why they're here have a listen it's really common basic sense uh, they're trying to stop all the jobs and any development here in Queensland all right. same as the Labor Party well we need mining and if they shut down the mines Danny and I will have to be responsible for supporting and educating the grandchildren etc I'm a coal miner myself yeah. and it's jobs for the community say yeah, these people live in these towns. They rely on electricity and air conditioners. And where does it all come from? Us guys up here that are working hard for us. And uh, if we don't mind the cold, someone else will. Oh, and just I'm a coal miner. A coal miner. I just think of this area. That's that's our money making. Coal miner. We're all coal miners. It, it supports our community. Without the coal industry here, we'd be screwed pretty much. Mate, I work not in a coal mine, but. Mate, we repair all the gear that comes out of the coal mine, so, yeah, go Adani. Well, that gives you an idea. That was a little clip um, up at Claremont where the Bob Brown convoy was sort of rather rejected. But now, listeners, we haven't been able to get the Wangan Jagalingu people on air tonight, and I can understand they'd be busy. I think it's a very historic moment for them. They've been fighting off the Adani mine since 2012, and the Queensland government... The state government has just approved Adani's water management plan and although there are more details to be approved, the mine is really close to starting. So for those people whose land it really is, who really will cry deep tears if that land is drilled and mined, um, we're really thinking of them tonight. So Adrian Burragaba has said, we are the water protectors. We want to look after the land for all future generations. And if you, listeners, if you want to stand up and be counted on their side, please look up their website. It's called Wangan and Jabalingu Council. And one of the uh, other people in the council is Marawa Johnson, a young woman. I've interviewed her before. She said the most forward-leading people are also the most disenfranchised. And I think Aboriginal people must be feeling with these land title court cases that just don't end up in giving them justice, they must be feeling even more disenfranchised. But she says, we are changing the narrative. So I made a little compilation of her voice and Adrian Burragaba's voice for you to listen to from their recent talks. And thank you to Green Left TV, where one little talk of um, Marawas was. And um, she said, many people would like to drown us out and erase us. So please, listeners, support them. Don't let them their voice be drowned out by big money. Uh, stopping new coal mines, I would think, is the most urgent climate action any of us can take. So let's see the compilation. We've drawn a line in the sand, and and the fight the fight has begun, and it hasn't finished yet, and it won't just won't just finish in the, you know, in the in, in the full bench of a federal court. I mean, this this will essentially have to go to the high court. We will exhaust every single single legal avenue in this country, and then we will go to the international um, community. We'll go to the Hague if we have to, because um, our rights are being denied in this country, and uh, Australia's got to grow up, stop being childish about this. They've got to be a step with the rest of the world. My name is Adrian Burugaba. We're at a crucial time in history now where 
these great mega mines are coming to us and asking us as the traditional owners of the land to sign away our uh, native title rights and interests to that land. These mines are, are, are very dangerous and they're detrimental to not only just the environment but the, the laws and customs that you know, are, are based in that land that are very important to the Wangan and Jagalingu people. The most important thing is for us to maintain our cultural integrity. Some of these mines will be here right into the future, 40, 50, 60 years from now. We could lose our identity. We're going to make every effort to stop this mining company from destroying our land. I'm going to convince all of our people to stand together as one people and one voice. And then we're going to ask all Australian people and people from all over the world to stand with us and unite with us to fight this fight. This is not an easy fight for us. And we're asking everybody to stand with us to stop these mines from destroying this land. We don't need this coal. We don't need them. We don't need their money. We need them to leave our land alone. We need to protect that land. You know, our forefathers, my father and their grandfather, they had their, their money, they had their wages garnished and money taken off them, and so there was no inheritance for us. And all we've got left now is our inheritance is the land, and that's our responsibility. I'm a member of the Wangan and Jagalingu traditional owner group. We're the people fighting the world's largest proposed new coal mine. We talk about law, we talk about something that's been here since time immemorial, since the beginning. And that law has always been in the land. And we're not going to surrender that land. Our campaign has been running for two years. I'm extremely privileged to be a spokesperson for this campaign, representing and speaking for my country representing and speaking for my people who are saying no to the world's largest new proposed coal mine. And how's it going? What's the state of the resistance? I have a duty and I, I won't be the, the broken link in the chain. Not just fighting governments, fighting mining companies, but leading the solutions. Like the most forward-thinking people are the ones who are the most disenfranchised and have the least resources to mount the fight that we need to fight, but we're doing it. We're not just asking our people to say no to the destruction of our country. We're building real alternatives. We're providing the transition, changing that narrative and saying mining isn't the salvation out of poverty for our people. It's our people rising up, standing together, building the new world. We have a legislation that ensures the facilitation of mining at the expense of Aboriginal land rights, land justice and our culture and our, our identities. That's their business. It's coal, iron ore, gas, uranium, mining, mine, 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 extraction, take, take, take. That's their business. Without us, there's no way forward. They're just going to read it from a book. Hmm. Just like they can't sing our song, they can't do our dance. And they can't tell our story. It's us that's going to tell the story. So we've seen the end of the world and we've decided not to accept it. This is our future and our world and it's our duty. I'm a part of a 60,000 year old legacy of the greatest sustainability that this world has ever known. I refuse to be the broken link in the chain. Um, I come from the, the eastern side of the country, Wangan. Um, and we've joined together in 2014. We said no to mining Jaina Dani. We're here today because from that decision, we were mandated to go on and take the fight up against the state government and against the multi-billion dollar mining company. Um, to say that our decision-making needs to be respected and we're going to determine our own future. And we're here today because the legislation in this country 
doesn't allow us the opportunity to determine our own future. It says that the only future that you can have is one where you get crumbs off the table from multi-billion dollar companies and state governments are the ones getting the royalties and we're the ones who are always losing out. We're here because we're sick of being the people that always have to sacrifice something for everybody else. We're sick of being the people that are the collateral. We're just pushed aside all the time. We're here because our law and our custom is centered to who we are and it is the most compatible way of living with this land. Everyone has something to learn from us and everything. everyone has something to learn from the way we live with our country because we've been here since the beginning of time, the beginning of people in this country. We've observed the land and we've interpreted it into our law. And our law is not of man. Our law is of something greater. Our law is of the land, something that isn't temporary, something that's permanent and remains unshaken. And we're here trying to defend that because while the law guides us in how to live and how to be with the land and how to live respectfully and to live a good life, a peaceful life, a happy life with sustenance and family and culture and spiritual connection at the core of that. Um, we're here because according to this government and the courts and the legislation in this country, those things don't mean anything and they're so willing to disempower us all the time. They're so willing to take away our voice, to drown us out, to erase us and pretend that we don't exist and that we're not here. But so on Friday, the court didn't find in our favor. That's not a surprise because that's what native title is designed to do. It's designed to find in the favor, especially under the Howard amendments. It's designed to find in the favor of reckless, multi-billion dollar corporations that want to destroy Aboriginal people and want to destroy Aboriginal land for their own profit. We know that that's the business of native title. We've been working with it for 20 years and we're here because we're saying our law is first. We, we, we're going through the courts. We are forced to work with the system that doesn't work for us. And we know that, that's why we're here. That's why all of you are here too, because we know that there is no justice in this country for Aboriginal people. And while the state government might like to try and say that it's a matter between us and Adani, the fact is that at every step of the way, they have interfered. At every step of the way, they've had their people in the room. At every step of the way, they've had people whispering to us in corridors being like, don't worry, it's not going to go ahead. Asking us to step down and step away from the fight and to shut up and be quiet. And it's not good enough. And they've been able to back away and we're here because we know that the power lies with the state and the court decision on Friday that found against us, or not in our favour, puts the power right now in the hands of the state government. It's no longer a matter between us and Adani. It's a decision of the state to decide, are they going to side with a company like Adani and just sacrifice us and our country and our connection, or are they going to respect us and allow this process to run its course and allow us to have the opportunity to meet with them? In the five years we've been fighting uh, Adani, the state government have not met with us. And we're here to say that we want a meeting. We're here to say, we know that the decision lies with you. And if you're going to make a proper decision, you need to be informed. You need to know what, what the risks are. You need to know what is going to be lost here. And it's us. It's, it's, it's us as the people. It's our law, our custom, our culture, our connection to the country. And once that goes away, once they give it to Adani, if they do do this tenure transfer, that is, a, that is the extinguishment of our native title, it can't be undone. 
their, their, their lawyers said that in the court. It cannot be undone. And we're here because we're trying to say, you don't need to do anything right now. You don't need to, an action, the extinguishment would be an act against us. They actually don't need to do anything, that's why we're here, to let them know that the decision lies with them, but they don't need to make it right now because we, are, we have plans. Um, we're, we're consulting with our council. We intend to take this as far as we need to take it to the High Court. That doesn't mean that we, we expect to find justice because this whole system is set up and designed against Aboriginal people and First Peoples of this country. But we, the fight doesn't stop here. We're going to take it all the way. And if we're going to run with it, we don't need our, our feet tied together. And that's the threat that is here with us now since the court decision on Friday, that we're going to be expected to fight with our hands and feet tied, hands tied behind our back and our feet tied at our ankles. How are we going to do that? And it's up to the state government to decide that they won't interfere and they won't be the ones tying the rope. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for that, Vivian. Um, we are now joined by the ABC's Stephen Long, who has done, to my mind, the best program on the Adani Group. It was aired in October 2017 on, on Four Corners and was called Digging into Adani. For Stephen's trouble, he was harassed by the Indian p police and had to leave once threatened with being tailed by three of the in Indian intelligence services. Yet the most valuable aspect of digging into Adani was in exposing the corporate character of the Adani group as it was understood in India and conveying to the Australian audience just what doing business with these people means. Stephen, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks. It's good to be with you. So first, belated congratulations on digging into Adani. It was a very important piece of Australian journalism that is over a year old but could not be more relevant now. Um, you visited Adani's operations in Vasco da Gama as well as Bellicari and Mundra. What did you find out about Adani's environmental record there? In Adani's environmental record in India, I'd have to say, is poor. In their home state, it's where you see the most dramatic examples. Adani remodelled the entire coastline in their home state of Gujarat in the port of Mundra. They developed a, a massive port there and they were given economic rights to develop a special economic zone. Now, there were environmental controls that said that various conditions had to be met. Uh, they couldn't fill in river mouths. They filled in river mouths. They couldn't reshape the coastline. The entire shape of the coastline was altered. There were lots and lots of things that were done, and Adani denied it. There was an inquiry which found clear evidence of this, but lo and behold, change of government, uh, the Adani family and Gautam Adani, the founder, are very close to Modi, the Prime Minister of India, who used to be the Chief Minister of their home state. And when there was a change of government, a minister said it couldn't be said with certainty that Adani had done the damage, which was bizarre because there was no other player in, in the region. So this was just one example. You've got examples like that, you know, all over India. But this is a powerful company willing to say black is white and politically connected enough to often get away with it. Do you think it would be a stretch to say that um, the Adani group or the two Adani brothers were, were oligarchs in India? I think it's fair to say that uh, I don't know whether you could call them oligarchs, but, but Indian capitalism operates in ways that are quite interesting uh, with power and influence. We have our own modes of power and influence in Australia, but over there it's, it's pretty stark. And this is a powerful company with close connections. The term crony capitalism is often used in mm. India to describe the relationship of really powerful business people like, like the Adanis, um, who are close to government and seem to have things break their way. Uh, often, um, that's 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 the way it's often described over there as a form of crony capitalism, uh, with politically connected companies getting decisions made or actions dropped 
that suit suit them, you know, that, that work for them. Um, Adani was one of a number of companies implicated in a huge bribery scandal in the port of Bellicary on, on the other side of the country to their, uh, in, a, in a different state, uh, where police, customs officials, all manner of people mm. were bribed in an export iron ore scam. Now, uh, there were no charges ever laid, and Adana uses that to say, well, therefore, we're, in, we're innocent. All it means is that the charges weren't pursued, uh, which again raises questions that, uh, that you can have evidence uh, from an inquiry from the equivalent of an anti-corruption commission over there, which unearthed records of bribes paid mm. by, by Adani Enterprises, the parent company, the ultimate parent company for Adani Mining, which is developing the mine in Queensland, and no charges laid. Yeah, and the scale of that Bellicary uh, port scam was crazy. I, I think it was 8 million tonnes of iron ore um, were illegally mined and then shipped out. Um, it's extraordinary, and all that's left there now is this rusting port in in disrepair and disuse because the operation was shut down. There was a recommendation also that Adani lose its license from you know, its license to deal with and contract with the state government. But I've seen no record of that actually happening. But the whole thing's in abeyance now because yeah, there was this massive illegal mining operation going on and and material being shipped out through through Adani's through an Adani port uh, in the area amongst amongst others. They weren't the only company implicated. I think it's really interesting in your investigations about how the Adani Group was has structured itself around the flow of money. Um, so they siphoned money through imports um, from uh, China and South Korea, I think, and then the um, the money flowed out through Singapore, uh, where Vinod Adani, who's um, Guatam's older brother, um, out through various tax havens. What about that flow of money is illegal? Well, look, Adani disputes that it's done anything illegal or unlawful. Uh, it's faced various inquiries uh, in India and allegations of what's known as trade-based money laundering. What's very clear, I think, is that they have, on various occasions, found mechanisms through which to shift revenue offshore, avoid taxations or, or customs duties um, through this structure where they set up related party companies in tax havens and basically um, find ways to, to move money. One, one of the allegations had to do with overpricing for equipment imports for their power stations mm. and then... And then paying grossly inflated figures to intermediary companies that are controlled by the Adanis. And there were similar allegations about coal. Um, and what's interesting here, from Australia's point of view, is these same structures, um, mm -hmm. they're all very similar structures, operate with the Australian business, that they have ownership structures for various subsidiaries or trusts within the Australian corporate group, which are owned by Vinod Adani's companies in Singapore and then ultimately in tax havens. Uh, I did a story a, a few years ago which exposed that they had, they'd, they had an arrangement where $2 uh, for each tonne of coal mine beyond the first 400000 from the Queensland mine wouldn't go in revenue to the company listed on the stock exchange in India that owns it, but would go directly off into a trust that was ultimately owned in tax havens by the Adani family. So for every tonne of coal mine uh, for 20 years, $2 skimmed off the top goes into into a trust ultimately owned and controlled in, in tax havens by the Adani family, which I think is something interesting in terms of the economics of the whole venture. People have talked about, oh, this won't make money, but it could be loss-making or, or not that profitable for the Adanis if it's developed at scale, and it could still deliver a lot of money to the Adani family. So, I mean, one, one amazing aspect of, of um, 
digging into Adani was just that Australian politicians, and I couldn't work out the relationship whether it seemed whether I wasn't sure whether they were poorly briefed about the Adani group or whether they were willfully ignorant. What was your what was your impression? I think initially, perhaps the politicians were poorly briefed, and then after it became clear that there was huge question marks over the conduct and character of the Adani group and people within that group. And, you know, we've only touched on some of the issues there. They, their former chief executive in Australia was implicated in, in running a subsidiary in another country that had an environmental disaster. Lack of disclosure around all these issues... Um, Maybe we can put it down to a level of ignorance by departmental officials and 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 federal government ministers who didn't really want to know at first instance. But when it was exposed, what they did, they went out of their way to, to say, oh, we've looked at this and, and we're still satisfied. Queensland government, you know, um, Anastasia Palaszczuk, when these issues were raised with her, she'd just talk about jobs for regional Queensland and seemed very willing to turn a blind eye. And it does raise questions about the approval process, to what extent it actually requires consideration of problems overseas, because some of the environmental approval uh, documents and regimes merely require companies to report whether they've, they've faced environmental litigation in the state or nationally in Australia. And so we're dealing with multinationals in, in mining in general. Uh, that's a big gap. And the situation with Adani exposes, exposes that gap and problem. Yeah. I'm, now, for this question, I don't want to get you in, in any trouble at work, but I, I was interested in your reaction to the story about ABC journalist Isabel Rowe um, about Adani illegally boring holes that was taken off air um, by the ABC because Adani had made complaints. Would you feel comfortable doing more um, stories in the ABC for um, about Adani? Um, I'm I'm pretty fearless, and I've been around a long time, and I wouldn't let I I wouldn't let anything intimidate me, and stop me doing stories about Adani. Um, but it is certainly the case that Adani uses both the formal complaints process at the ABC and tries to use informal channels to to dissuade stories or complain about stories um, and they're known for intimidation tactics of journalists. You mentioned the fact that we were detained in mm. India in the Adani's home state when we went to Gujarat and their port town by police and questioned and threatened. We have no doubt that that, that, that was instigated by the Adani company. Um, I've had colleagues here, Adani's put in freedom of information requests for their expenses record, right. which is clearly, an, who were reporting and exposing issues to do with Adani, another form of intimidation. They hired a law firm that uh, advertised itself as in, in its brief to Adani that they would be an attack dog and would go after Indigenous people and and critics um, using you know using legal means. So they play hardball when it comes to criticism, and and uh, I haven't really encountered a company quite like Adani in my 33 years of reporting in Australia, operating in Australia in this way. You know, you can go up against heavyweight companies and they'll try and throw their weight around, mm. but but Adani, uh, Adani's taken it to, you know, a new level in my experience. Well, um, that's, all, that's all we have time for, Stephen. I'm really glad to hear that you're still going to be out there, um, you know, working tirelessly and, and, and trying to hold different companies and it to account for how they're operating in Australia. Thanks for your time. You're welcome. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you uh, to so to uh, all our guests, uh, Jenny Weber from the Bob Brown Foundation, and um, we just had the ABC's Stephen Long. Um, if you do want to take action on Adani, you should head to the Stop Adani Assembly uh, this Saturday on June 29th. Um, 
which will be held at the Lithuanian Club in North Melbourne from 9am. Uh, you can t- get tickets on Eventbrite, so just um, search for that. Thank you so much for the uh, to the team, Viv and um, Lindsay, for joining us here in the studio. Um, we will finish up the program just um, giving a shout-out to all the... Um, people that offered money for the Radiothon that helps us so out. So I'll um, put you over to uh, Viv, who will um, do that right now. Okay, this will be a quick list, and thank you very much to all the BZE team who asked their friends and all the people who appeared on our Radiothon show. Here, I'll just read the list. Some of them are very big donations, some of them are small, but thank you to all of them. Royal Society of Victoria, Data Defenders Proprietary Limited, Rev Bikes, Rosine and Jeff Bates, Lynn Bender, Justin Borovitz, Francis Britt, Jolyon Bromley, Ms Jane Brownrigg, Anna Carmody, Mr Jim Crosswaite and Mr Jim Crosswaite. Two, <laughs> James Curzon, Tom Evans, Edward Ford, Juliet Fox, David Friday, John Gare, Sheena Grant, Leslie James, Anonymous, Gareth Johnson, Stephen Langford, Heidi Lee, Ching Lim, Forbes McGain, Annie McLaughlin, Susie Milne, Mike Nolan, Dr Cathy Oakey, Giles Parkinson, Vanessa Petrie, Julia Polito, Carolyn Rankin, Anna Rose, Jane Rudman, twice, Claire Scholes, Greg Siegel, Susan Sharp, Pamela Sharp, Vicky Sharp, Beth Shepherd, Megan Street, Georgina Stubbs, <coughs> Miwa Tomanaga, Steve Turner, Jenny Wright, Franks, Anne and Trish Howes. And if you have pledged and would still like to co- contribute, please just ring up uh, Radio 3CR um, on 9419 in business hours. Many thanks to all of you. You've kept us on our on air and the station open for another year. Cyclones Cast is pretty grim. Do you ever feel like just switching off? Well, don't. Switch on to Beyond Zero Emissions Community Radio Show every Monday at 5pm on 3CR and beat the doom and gloom to find out the latest actions and research in your community. BZE Radio at 5pm on Monday. Turn the tide, literally. <laughs> 